Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Have you ever walked by a shelf in your local bookstore full of books wrapped in brown paper and maybe been a little bit confused by them? Those are blind dates with books where you buy a book without knowing the title, the cover, or the author, and it's a great way to discover new books you might never have picked for yourself. We here at Book Riot are giving away five blind dates with books. Our executive editor, Amanda Nelson, is going to take a trip to her local indie in Richmond, Virginia, called Chop Suey, and pick five books at random, all wrapped up in that brown paper. She's going to pick them off the shelves and mail them to five random winners. All you have to do to enter is to go to bookriot.com slash blind date and sign up for our upcoming read this book newsletter, where we will send you one single solitary book recommendation once per week. That's bookriot.com slash blind date to enter, or go see if your local indie participates with their own blind date shelves. Hello and welcome back to When in Romance, your favorite place to listen and our favorite place to talk about romance, things happening in Romance Landia, and all other kinds of things related some kind of way. Um, it is October 3rd and we are recording episode 44. October 3rd, uh, Mean Girls Day. <laughs> <laughs> but that is another thing entirely. <laughs> Uh, so this is Trisha. I didn't, I don't want to jump in on your introduction of yourself. Uh, oh, right. This is Jess. <laughs> and this is Trisha. And the only reason that I know what Mean Girls Day is, is because we have already recorded two thirds of this podcast, but we're starting over. Yes, we, we are. Some technical difficulties that are no one's fault. Mm. And, uh, so I learned that Mean Girls Day is the day that, um, I believe the Lindsay Lohan character, uh, gets asked what the date is in math class. And apparently... It's the thing that people remember. I learned all of this from Jess like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> yes, yes, she did. Um, and I honestly couldn't remember what day it was, um, the, the Mean Girls one, mm-hmm. until memes started. It, so if you had asked me five years ago what date uh, he asked her, I wouldn't have remembered. But then every October 3rd, it just popped up. <laughs> Thank God for memes. Thank Where God would for we memes. be without memes? I don't know. I sort of live in memes sometime. I, I feel like my life is nothing without memes. Hey, you know what? I think memes are great, but I also think there may be more to your life than just those. Uh, sometimes. But I'm glad we know the date. So there's that. Yes. Um, so before we, now that we know the date, before we get into, um, the thick of our show, we did want to do a little bit of follow-up. We heard from a handful of folks, um, about our last podcast, um, Mostly we heard about um, our discussion about the Ladies' Guide to Celestial Mechanics that we did as part of the great big romance read hosted by The Rift Bodice. The book is obviously, as we've talked about many times now, by Olivia Waite. Um, we heard from, I asked the question, I posited the question, how much embroidery is, you know, maybe too much embroidery? And the answer that we got back mostly was, there's no such thing. <laughs> 
We heard from Julia over Twitter who mentioned and made actually a very good point that oftentimes the feminine pursuits um, or those that are thought of as feminine um, in order to kind of subvert feminine ideals, women in romance novels are not kind of allowed to be good at them. And so Julia was pointing out that it's kind of nice to actually have um, a character who is good at embroidery as opposed to having her strength of character be defined as not being good at it. You know, when we've seen that in things like cooking or, um, as Jess pointed out earlier, piano. <laughs> um, so um, so that was actually, I thought, a really good point and very helpful. And we heard from uh, Sumiko, who mentioned that she had actually not gotten yet to um, the uh, ladies' guide, but that the next book that she got from her interlibrary loan after listening to our last episode was a, thing, a single thread by Tracy Chevalier, uh, which is about a woman in a British society. So uh, apparently that is, she is somehow tuned into the universe related to embroidery and <laughs> historical fiction. Uh, we also heard from, oh, I think it was Liz Lincoln sent me a, a text about how when we were talking about um how time passed. She just sort of like pictured one of those animated things of all of the pages falling off of a calendar, which was, I thought, kind of funny. <laughs> um, and we heard from, oh, I, in, related to our question, well, my question, I guess, kind of about how bookstores are set up and how the displays are. Maria Vale, who's a wonderful romance author, um, sent us a photo of her local Barnes & Noble, which, like mine, was also featuring books like The Right Swipe, The Bride Test. Um, I think a couple of the Jasmine Guri books were in there as well. Just a really cool, great romance collection, again, on a table at the front of the store. And last but not least, we heard from Kim, who uh, sent a question about whether or not we were going to be recommending holiday books, and particularly... Um, and these are my words, not hers, those from sort of some maybe different and underrepresented perspectives, uh, the LGBTQA plus community. Um, we don't always see a lot of romance by um, authors of color around the holiday season, or I shouldn't say we don't see it. We don't see as much as we wish the publishers would put out um, featuring characters of color. So I think the short answer to that question is we absolutely can do that. And I don't know if we'll wait until our November episode that's all recommendations or not. Um, but this is a good reminder that we will have an episode in, gosh, probably like two or three episodes that is specifically focused on recommendations. So if folks have questions or if there are things that you are looking for um, and haven't been able to find, let us know and we will add that. But as always, thanks to everybody for uh, reaching out over email or Twitter or Instagram or wherever. Um, we do love to hear from you, even when I am being told that there is such, there's no such thing as too much embroidery. I'm happy to learn that lesson. There isn't. Um, I don't do it myself, but I enjoy seeing what comes out of other people's work. Um, because I'll tell you, I apparently have some really talented friends and I could never do it and would never want to. Um, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's not for me. But... No. But yeah, no, I'm with you. The Godspeed to those for for who for whom that is a gift, and who can you are, who can even just picture it. Like I just have a hard time picturing it. But anyway, enough discussion about me and my feelings about embroidery. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we get into the thick of the show, Jess, you want to do uh, an ad spot? Yes, absolutely. Uh, all our thanks, well, some of our thanks, go to William Morrow Paperbacks and Meg Cabot, author of No Judgment. 
the first book in a new series by the great author Meg Cabot. Um, this is an adult series, and it is the Little Bridge Island series. So in this one, when a massive hurricane severs all power and cell service to Little Bridge Island, as well as its connection to the mainland, 25-year-old Bree Beckham isn't worried at first. She's already escaped one storm in the uh, body of her emotionally abusive ex, so a hurricane seems like it will be a piece of cake. But animal-loving Bree doesn't be- does become alarmed when she realizes how many islanders have been cut off from their beloved pets. Now it's up to her to save as many of Little Bridge's cats and dogs as she can, but to do so, she's going to need help. Help she has no choice but to accept from her boss's sexy nephew, Drew Hartwell, the Mermaid Cafe's most notorious heartbreaker. But when Bree starts falling for Drew, just as Little Bridge's power is restored and her penitent ex shows up, she has to ask herself if her island fling was only a result of the stormy weather, or if it could last during clear skies, too. You know, I haven't read a a newly starting uh, Meg Cabot book in a while. The last couple ones that she's put out have been continuances of series that she had already started and kind of concluded. So like, it's like, oh, hey, look, there's a new mediator book and they're adults and they have adult drama. Um, or hey, look, there's a brand new boy meets girl book and it's written mm-hmm. all, it's once again written all in epistolary form, which is fun. Um, yeah. So it's nice to see a brand new series about brand new people doing brand new things with brand new, uh, climate change. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> and to see, um, what she's going to do with that. Yeah, I think that's like that's that's a great point. It's always fun to read the authors that you love in the series that you love, but it's always kind of cool too to see what somebody's doing next. Mm-hmm. So once again, that was No Judgments by Meg Cabot. Thank you to William Barrow Paperbacks for sponsoring this episode. You know, I wonder, Jess, how much sex is in that book? You know, I don't know because I haven't read it, and there isn't really a way to tell us how. You know, there isn't a way. And that has been the topic of some discussion. I have to tell you guys that transition went a lot better the second time because the first time Jess didn't know what I was talking about. Uh, but yes, there is, um, that has been a discussion lately that, uh, has been, it was more probably the case a couple of weeks ago and we just didn't get to it on our last episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but this discussion of how, uh, to flag for readers who are interested, um, how much sexual content there is and maybe even how graphic it is in romance has been bubbling up a little bit. And you and I both have some feelings about this, Jess. Do you want to talk a little bit about it and maybe what it could even look like? Oh yeah, totally. And you know, like I've, I've seen so many perspectives on this that at every single new point that someone has made, it's kind of like, Oh yeah, that's right. Um, Because you know, there are people who are like, go into a romance expecting there to be some kind of sexual content. And if there isn't, that's, that's great. Hooray. And then there are the people who have been like, well, sex averse people would rather enjoy the story they're telling or the story they're reading. Um, and not be surprised to come across graphic sexual content. 
Great point. And then, you know, there's like, well, sex positivity should be going both directions. Um, hooray for people who want to read the most explicit content they can. And also hooray for people who want to read a love story with a happy ending that doesn't have any sexual content. We want to be able to reach all of those people and not have them feel comfortable in this, uncomfortable in this community. And it's just like, and you know, there are people who are like, who is it going to hurt, you know, to have it there. And we can talk about that later because I, I'm sure that you have some feelings about that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, I, there's so much going on that I can't, I can't nail down one opinion about it. Um, because I've seen, like, one of the tweets that I saw um, hearken to, a, I feel like a, a phrase that I saw in a book that I can't recall. Um, it's just a sentence in the front matter that says, you know, this, this book contains graphically explicit sex scenes or graph or graphic sexual content or something like that. That's just, you know, a few words in the beginning that could be just, it could be read with the rest of the content warnings. And, you know, some authors um, are more interested in putting content warnings in their books than others. So uh, um, as, as a content warning, I am definitely behind it. I, with the other conversation or the other, the other side of the conversation that was talking about, um, sort of ratings or like, how can we tell how much or how graphic it is? Um, I totally get why some people would want that. Um, and I've seen some really good examples of how readers and reviewers use it, but I don't know how it would come from the other direction. Um, I obviously don't want to see like a rating of sexual content on the back of a paperback, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. And I think this idea, and I apologize, I don't, I don't remember who shared it, but that, you know, you would rate using that sort of movie theater scale, the sort of G, PG, PG-13, you know, and have different, very clear examples, but uh, different authors even be used as Jane Austen is a G and Christina Lauren is an R. And here's what makes those ratings exist. I can see how those could be helpful. Mm-hmm. And I do, I'm like 65% in favor of of something that can well, I'm 100% favor in something that could be useful for romance readers to find the content that they are comfortable reading and still be able to kind of find that happily ever after, right? Like that's the purpose behind, for me, I think that's the, the greatest gift that this genre can give people is to be able to find the happily ever after that they're comfortable with and that they can see themselves reflected in. Mm-hmm. I think my hesitation is that, I, I guess there's a part of me that's a little bit sort of petty. It's like, <laughs> how come it has to be romance? And how come, how come it has to be sex, right? Yeah. We, you don't see this kind of a rating system um, applied to, and then again, I, you know, I, they may exist and I may have missed it. I did a, a quick search earlier and, and didn't find a, a rating system for violence in mysteries or thrillers or, or suspense books. And a lot of times those books do feature violence, oftentimes I shouldn't say often, sometimes graphic violence against women or non-binary characters. Um, and that is, to me, more troublesome than sexual content. Mm-hmm. Um, although I'm with you, if, if somebody 
can do a, a heads up in the front matter or I'm 90 95% sure that perfect rhythm by Jay, which I, I mentioned a little bit earlier this year um, in which one of the characters is asexual. I, I think it was in the chapter. Um, the author offered a note that this chapter is going to include explicit sexual content. If you'd rather not read it, just skip ahead. You won't miss anything. It'll be fine. <laughs> um, and I think that's a kind of a cool and interesting way to deal with it. Um, particularly if you are writing an ace character, because it may be that the ace community is more drawn to that book. I, I don't know. I don't want to make any assumptions, but mm-hmm. I guess I, so, you know, I'm with you in that if we're doing kind of a front matter or even in chapter heads up of there's some sexual content here and here's what it is. I think that's really beneficial. I'm just also a little hesitant, I guess, around when you start flagging something, particularly in a rating system, even when the intention is to be really helpful and useful, I worry that it is going to, I don't know, flag it in a way I I can't, I guess I can't put my words together very well right now, just, but I just flag it in a way that's kind of says sex is wrong or only for a certain population. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, I, I worry about what may happen in that lens as well. Absolutely. I can, I totally get what you mean because since, um, sex is such a contentious topic, especially in the United States, um, especially because for some reason, well, we know the reason, um, romance is always the genre that is poked at and, you know, used as an example. Um, people who saw such a rating scale in a greater format um, that was made for actually like producing books instead of say recommending them um, helping people find what they're looking for could turn, turn it, sort of turn it against it. That's, that's when um, a bookseller or a library could say, you know, books that, you know, mark themselves as X shouldn't be in our library or something like that, which we would hope wouldn't happen. Yeah. You know, because libraries are supposed to be the, the last, uh, you know, opinions of free speech and access, but that's a different matter. <laughs> yeah. No, that's a really great point. And I think too, if, if we're going to flag sexual content um, of whatever nature, you know, whether it's graphic or existent or non-existence or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think it's also important that we consider a way to flag a book that is not sex positive or, mm-hmm. or signal it. I don't mean flag is in sort of a, a bad way, but, you know, I've read a number of books and, and I don't mean to single out the inspirational romance community. It's just the one that pops first to mind. There are plenty of inspirational romance books that are not, uh, that are sex positive, um, but I've read many books in that genre, that subgenre, that are not positive, particularly about sex outside of marriage. Mm. And I think that's a thing that could also be really just something that people may want to avoid as readers. So I think, I think the kind of the tone and intention matters too. And I guess, I guess, I guess that's why I'm a little bit hesitant to boil um, the sexual content of a book down to a rating system or a 
this many flames or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Kind of a, I think it's useful. And so I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. I absolutely think that if it's a thing that can serve the larger romance community, then, then we should figure out a way to do it most effectively. I just think we should also be really cognizant of the ways in which it could be troublesome, you know, for, um, and, and that's, that's not, again, not a reason not to do it. It's just a reason to be cognizant of what we're doing and how we're doing it. Absolutely. I can totally see what you mean there. And I was, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, both on this podcast and in my newsletter and even in the general content that I write for Book Riot, I am actually not very good at mentioning whether a book has any sex, let alone, um, what the heat level is, unless the sex is actually like part of the plot, like, you know, these two people hate each other, but they have a lot of chemistry and start having sex. Like that is, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's when I mention whether there's sex in the book. And even then, you know, that doesn't say that it's open door or closed door or graphic or just slightly euphemistic, right? So I, you know, I, I know that some people might be looking for that, but as a person who recommends books to people on a regular basis, I could probably be better at knowing what people are looking for and helping them find it. Um, so this conversation has helped me figure out what more to add to my random squeeing about books every few days. Indeed. And that's, you know, um, I feel comfortable uh, speaking for you on this because you told me I could 45 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, when I say, if, you know, if, if folks have ideas or thoughts about how this could go, or if, there's a, an aspect of the conversation that we have missed, or if you've seen some really interesting examples of how this is done that you feel like have been effective, please don't hesitate to let us know. I think we are um, always interested in it, figuring out what the best way is to talk about romance, um, the most helpful way to talk about romance for readers um, and for each other. And so please let us know if you have some thoughts or ideas, or you've seen something that we have not. Um, and before we jump into our next uh, topic, I will do uh, our other ad spot, which, in a fun surprise, <laughs> is also No Judgments by Meg Cabot uh, from William Morrow Paperbacks. So, as just mentioned, and I know you were all paying attention, but in case you weren't, here are the high points. Massive <laughs> hurricane, all the power is gone. Uh, Bree is not worried because she's already dealt with the hurricane of her emotionally abusive ex, but... She's worried about the animals. So all of the animals are being separated. She has to save them. She's going to have to accept some help from her boss's sexy nephew, which, I mean, if you have to accept some help from someone, a sexy nephew may not be your worst option. No, not Uh, at all. So, right? Yeah. So Drew is going to help her out. They're going to reunite all the animals with their people. And, uh, but then Bree starts to fall for Drew and she's trying to figure out. Then her, like, ex shows up, which I have some real feelings about. I haven't even read the book yet. And (laughs) anyway... Um, so then she has to figure out is, was this like a one-time thing or is there potential here for the long term? And, you know, I think as I was reading about this book and kind of learning more about it as I was, uh, checking it out, I think it's, there are a couple of things in here that are really gonna sort of hit somebody's trope tonight, uh, feelings as they're reading. I mean, first of all, Anyone who's an animal lover is going to be very excited about making sure that all of the animals get reunited with their people. That's just very important. Um, secondly, I think there's something really interesting about this kind of mechanism that, that storytellers use of 
hey, this is how everything was when we were in these very unique circumstances, right? Sometimes it's a vacation. Sometimes it's an offsite wedding where two people who are there kind of hook up. But then trying to figure out whether whatever you have there can be re- you know, recreated in a day-to-day, more kind of like mundane life setting. Um, that's really interesting. And then I have to tell you, I have not read a... I don't think I've read a Meg Cabot book since The Princess Diaries, which is not for any reason other than that was... I just... I, I was not aware of how broad her collection of books, particularly for adults is. So I'm excited to check this out, especially since, as Jess mentioned, it's the first book in the Little Bridge Island series. I'm also very excited to read it and see if I can figure out who's getting the second book in the Little Bridge Island series, because that's (laughs) my favorite game. Um, But I do think that this is a a great one and that um, it will be very appealing to our uh, listeners. Uh, and I will be interested, too, to see what the sex rating should be. <laughs> I look forward to that, too. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we will we will sort that out and let you know. <laughs> um, but in the meantime, huge thanks again to No Judgments by Meg Cabot and William Morrow Paperbacks for sponsoring When in Romance. Absolutely. All right. So our next topic was is a um, we wanted to talk a little bit kind of about the history of, of how romance got to be where it is and some of the trailblazers and um, the legacy sort of how we got into where we are. I don't know, just do you have a, a better way to maybe approach this topic? Well, let's, let's start out with the idea that there are a lot of misconceptions, both, both inside of romance and from the external point of view. Um, and those misconceptions are often, you know, either the, the, what I heard, what I saw on Twitter as like the Highlander rule where there could be only one or this, this idea that there are any firsts right now, right? Like, um, Fifty Shades of Grey was the first BDSM erotic romance or, uh, not, s- not very much not or, um, Sarah McLean, um, modernized the bodice ripper um you know there was there was nobody writing modern historical romance that didn't just have simpering uh rapey romances before her right and as much as we love sarah mclean also not also not we do love sarah mclean um but most recently the one that i think has been um hitting me the most and just so jarring because it's it keeps coming up um is this ongoing article written by someone outside of romance um who's looking for an angle saying that uh Jasmine Guillory has revolutionized romance by writing about professional black women which you know is a totally brand new thing nobody has done it before um someone who's only been writing who's only been publishing books for the past two and a half years is really really the person who started writing about professional black women um not and should we, should we throw the not in there also well, let's just say not i love jasmine <laughs> guillory she is a wonderful human being um i've done a q a in person with her before and hosted her at my book festival um i think she's great i've enjoyed three of her four books i just haven't read the fourth one yet so i don't know i imagine i will enjoy it just as much um, but if there's one thing that we can say about her is that she is not the first black author to write about black people in love and, uh, whether or not they're 
you know, professional women like she is or from a different era or set in a different time period, there have been plenty of others before her. And this, this misconception along with the others mentioned, um, are, you know, they aren't always the case of someone who's maliciously trying to r- find a new angle, right? They're just people who haven't done the research and in doing so have made some pretty harmful assumptions. Yeah. And I think that's a good point, Jess. I feel like there is kind of a spectrum and it, it's not necessarily for me to say where anyone necessarily falls, but I think there are some folks who are looking for an angle and are kind of lazy and feel like they don't want to do the research. Like I, the E.L. James example is such a good one. Cause I remember seeing 50 shades of gray on like the cover of entertainment weekly. And maybe like E.L. James might've been like a time person of the year or like a Barbara <laughs> Walters person. I don't even, like she certainly was not time magazines person of the year. I understand <laughs> that. Do not at me. I get it. But like, I feel like she was, like the time 100 or anyway, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. The point is, um, I feel like there are some folks who are, are just kind of trying to get the clicks. I feel like there are also some people who are maybe new to romance or maybe found romance through Jasmine Gilry. You know, I mean, you know, full disclosure, Book Riot has published at least one, maybe more of these pieces. And it's, I think it's people who are excited about having found romance and kind of, um, in many cases, they're sort of haven't found romance quite like what they've found in the Gillery books just because they are so widespread and so popular. Um, and I think that is amazing if we can bring more people to sort of that romance tent in the same way that E.L. James brought more people to erotic romance or erotica. That's great. We also just don't want to ignore the mm-hmm. contributions that authors and publishers and editors and readers who have been reading romance, and in this case specifically reading uh, romance centered on Black women by Black authors, um, that's that's important, right? Like that pe- Those people have done a lot of work and have had to kind of fight against a lot of, as, as many romance readers and writers do, a lot of pushback from a lot of stereotypes, a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of frustration in that. And, and so we don't want to ignore what folks have done to bring romance into be what it is in 2019. As flawed as that still may be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's not, I'm not saying that, you know, romance is completely full, chock full of marginalized people writing romance. Um, there are countless, but there could always be more. And that is on publishers to help us take care of. Um, but there, there isn't just one. There's no person holding the sword. Um, like the, the journalists seem to think is the case. And this happened earlier this year, um, with Red, White, and Royal Blue, a case of McQuiston. Um, there was an argument there that, that this book, because it's, it was so visible, so popular, and hey, it's so great, um, was, had revolutionized fiction in a whole new way where there were suddenly two men in love. And we all know that it's not anything new. Um, there are publishers who are dedicated to publishing 
LGBTQ plus romance and have been for years. Um, and somehow that argument was only made once that I recall seeing knocked out of the way and never, never mentioned again. So, <laughs> you know, like I, it would be great if that could happen with every misconception that comes through journalism. Um, and if, as we continue to educate that we could just, you know, make sure that the conversation goes in the correct direction. Yeah. And I think it can be really difficult if you are new to romance or even, I mean, gosh, I'm not even new to romance anymore. Romance is really big and Mm -hmm. the history can be sort of complicated and challenging. And so part of the conversation that we wanted to have um, in terms of talking through the legacy and who the trailblazers are was to sort of help people navigate some of the resources that might be out there. If you are interested in figuring out more about the history and when the firsts happened many decades ago. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, romance as as the genre stands now is almost 50 years old. And if we're going, you know, to like the elements of what a romance is, it's hundreds of years old. Um, and we can definitely say that it goes back as far as Georgia Tyre, as much as we like to ignore her. Well, some people are still on board. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but... <laughs> you know, there's there's at least 50 years of history as far as how this how this genre has built upon itself. And if there's one thing that we know, there are no firsts happening in 2019. You know, some some firsts that we've been talking about happened decades ago. Some of them took a little longer to happen. And it's really unfortunate that they took a little longer. But there is it's a rare first in 2019. Um, maybe first time being published by, you know, the, the big five publishers, the, um, the, the big names that we all know, Simon and Schuster, Macmillan, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they're not going to be the first time it's ever been considered. Um, so one way to, to look at the firsts as just a collection of lists is, um, RWA's Trailblazer, um, page, which was a project pulled together by Sarah McLean and a few of her esteemed, um, New York chapter colleagues, I believe, for, um, before the Ritas. So, and it's a great, um, part of RWA's website. It goes back it, and it lists a bunch of, bunch of firsts or, you know, big events that happened. A lot of people that should have been recognized by RWA decades ago and were not. Um, just a lot of interesting tidbits of information about the history of romance as a genre, about romance publishing, all of that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a fascinating resource and it doesn't take that long to look through and it's really easy to bookmark if you want to keep hearkening back to it yeah and i will link to it in the show notes i um mentioned to jess earlier one of the things that i found on this list that was a little bit of stud i mean i found it really interesting and, and as i mentioned i'm not exactly new um but one of the things i found really interesting was that uh brenda jackson in 20 in 2008 with irresistible forces was the first black uh, that was the first black romance to hit the New York Times bestseller list. And, and she's someone, Brandon Jackson is someone that we don't always talk a ton about, but man, what a, like, 
absolute badass of the romance community. Yeah, she's um, so she's published a hundred books. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. as one does. As one does. You know. <laughs> Uh, but it is, it's, it's kind of interesting just even to look through. So like I said, we'll, we'll make sure to link to that. Another thing that I found just kind of poking around earlier today, um, and I have to confess, I'd kind of forgotten about it, but Love Between the Covers is a romance documentary that came out, gosh, probably three or four years ago at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole documentary is fantastic. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely check it out. Um, there are a couple of things about it that it doesn't maybe focus as much on race or inclusivity as it should, but in general, it's a great resource. They even have, um, and this is what I'll link to in the show notes, they have a really great resource guide. And so there's a whole page, um, for example, on race and romance, which starts with a, about a four-minute video with Beverly Jenkins talking about um, the fact that there was not romance when she started writing that was historical about Black women. And so it's part of why she started doing her own writing. And then there's a whole just really fantastic page of resources. Um, it's worth checking that out. They have another one about uh, love across cultures. There's um, who, you know, a section about happy ever afters versus tragic endings and who gets to have happy ever afters. And so that's just a really, really wonderful resource as well that we'll make sure you have access to. Yeah, I, I remember coming across that. I was looking something up and, and landed on it. It was like, oh, purple. Um, but <laughs> I, it, there's some really great stuff on that. And I, I love web resources because they don't, they might be hard to find unless you have the Wayback Machine, but they don't go completely out of print like something. Yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of which, some of the other resources are maybe out of print. Yes. Like Jane and Krentz, uh edited a collection of essays about um, romance, their history and their future. I want to say at least 25 years ago. And I was, I'm very curious about the points of view in that book, but it is not very easy to find. Um, and Pamela Regis wrote um, a more academic text um, about the same thing, the, especially the history of romance, how it developed, um, where it was by the point, by the time that she was writing. And, uh, it's, I've, I remember reading a few pages of that because luckily my library had a copy. Um, but it is also a little harder to acquire. Um, and there, there are a few more academic texts about romance, but, um, there haven't been many recently. Uh, the, you know, the ones that I mentioned are from the eighties and nineties. Sarah Wendell actually has written one or two, um, books, nonfiction books looking at romance and its past and future and concepts and tropes and all of that. But those were in the, uh, late 2000s, early 2010s, I want to say. Um, and as Trisha reminded me 45 minutes ago, um, (laughs) (laughs) Maya O'Dale has a more recent book. I want to say it's only a couple years old. Is that right? Yeah. Maybe like 2010, 20 or sorry, 2012, 2013, somewhere in there. Dangerous books for girls, dangerous books for women. Mm -hmm. Dangerous books for girls. Girls. Um, it's, it's an adorable black and pink book, um, that looks at sort of why romance is maligned and um that kind of thing but also is it just a good dive into the history and future of romance and i would really love to see something more modern and i know you've you've looked at some stuff that's a little more inclusive but that doesn't exist 
as much as we want it to either, right? Yeah, the one that um one other that I would mention is uh Desert Passions Orientalism and Romance Novels, which is by Su Ming Jiu, who is a I don't necessarily want to say that I don't I'm not gonna say that she's a, an own voices author necessarily. She's um Chinese Australian, I believe. Um, but she's an academic who published um this book focused specifically on how that sort of uh, and this is a quote, chic fever hit the Western world in the 1920s and how all of a sudden all things that, again, are quote unquote oriental sort of swept through film, fashion, literature, um, and the impact that that had on romance. And it's kind of a, you know, I don't, I don't, I think it's a sort of very critical look at what that meant for romance books and how they got to be where they are. So, I mean, that's one example from 2012. Um, I, <laughs> I did not realize until I started searching for that book earlier that I actually have that book on Kindle and had kind of forgotten, but <laughs> it is available. It's a little more expensive because it's an academic book. So you can get it on Kindle for 1650. Um, the hard copy and paperback are going to be a little more expensive and it, it might be one that you could request through your library. Um, but like Jess was saying, that's, one example uh, of a book that focuses on um, a very, a more specific uh, culture and ethnicity angle. And I think you and I are both hoping that within the next few years, some of that romance nonfiction, um, not, that, I mean, I recommended the Maya Rodale book and um, I can't remember which one of Sarah Wendell's books, but I, I will link to both of them in the show notes mm-hmm. uh, to friends who were a little bit skeptical of romance and they were really helpful in seeing that. But I think it will be more helpful in the coming years if we can get um, some even more diverse uh, and inclusive perspectives around the history of the genre. So Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Well, let us know if there's anything that we missed on that, if there are um, books or resources about uh, the trailblazers and uh, folks who brought romance around to where it is now. We would love to shout those out on the next podcast. So let us know. We will be ready for anything that anybody has to tell us. Absolutely. And if you have any thoughts, you know, we'd love to hear them, whether or not you think the same thing we do is never a question. Absolutely. Yeah. Let us know. We uh, always like to learn. Uh, Speaking of learning, Jess, are you a seasonal romance reader? You know, I realized that I kind of am. It Not always, but there are times when I just want to experience what's happening around me. Are there specific seasons that you... Because, you know, you and I, (laughs) that was a... Uh, only mildly awkward transition, but <laughs> we wanted to talk a little bit about um, whether either of us are seasonal romance readers. And when we when we were kind of setting this up, um, when I started to think about it, what I realized is that I am a seasonal romance reader, but only kind of in fall, like only between like October and January 1st. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I don't notice when a book is set in the spring or the summer, but I notice when it's set in the fall or autumn, as some people might say, <laughs> uh, or around kind of the um, Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays. Those are both th- uh, holidays that I observe. And so I notice those. I So I guess for me, this is kind of, even though it's kind of broken into, because mul- for me, there's kind of a Halloween season mm-hmm. and then kind of a fall season and then kind of a Christmas season. So I'm a seasonal romance reader, but only for like three months. And all three of those months are very different. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's really too bad that we 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 can't we don't have enough of a collective uh romance collection that was terrible. <laughs> um to to start fall instead of starting it with like um Halloween, we start it with like Rosh Hashanah and then move into Halloween. Mhm. Yeah. Uh heads up publishing, please give us some uh interesting Rosh Hashanah books. Uh, oh yeah, here for it. And, but I, I'm kind of the same way. Although the one thing that I will say is that the one thing that I do read sort of seasonally, which is very weird, is sports. Because I am, oh, interesting. I am not a sport, like I am not a fan. Um, the way that I know sports fans, I am sort of an absorber I'm an absorber of sports right they're around I know what happens during the various seasons I know when football season starts I know when baseball season starts and uh, like when it starts happening around me that's when I want to read about that sport um so like hockey is hockey started a little while ago I haven't seen a hockey game it hasn't even been talked about in my house which is surprising because one of my first dates with the man who is now my husband was to a hockey game <laughs> so so you would Adorable. think but no but um but some kind of way I rotate sports books with with the season um but otherwise I'm I'm very much like you I start like Halloween and the the fall and then uh winter holidays. So, yeah, it's an interesting concept. Yeah, and I have to confess, I think my Halloween feelings of books are kind of monstery books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which when we were so we were making a uh, recommendation list and I have a couple that I am planning to read uh this season and then a couple that I have read that I feel like fit the season. And I will start with one that I have not yet read because I know that you have read it and I don't want you to take it from me on your list. <laughs> uh, and that is Mating the Huntress by Talia Hibbert, uh, yes. uh, who we've talked about before. Uh, and it focuses on Luke, who is a werewolf, who finds, like, through a sort of strange set of circumstances in the prologue, um, finds the person who he has determined is meant to be his mate. Um, and so Chastity is from this family of huntresses, uh, huntresses of werewolves, which did I mention that Luke is a werewolf? Cause this is, it seems like it's going to start to get sticky. Um, and she's like from a whole long line of huntresses. And, uh, actually Talia Hibbert dedicated this book to the matriarchs, which I think is just the most amazing reminder of why Talia Hibbert is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, he asks her out. She says yes, but she plans to kill him and he plans to make her his mate. <laughs> so that's as far as I've gotten so far. I'm only like a chapter and a half in. Uh, uh, but I have a feeling things are going to get a little intense. And I, if I'm remembering right, Talia Hibbert actually released this book around this time last year with the intention of it being kind of a Halloween read. Uh, so I'm excited to get more into that one. But again, that's Mating the Huntress by Talia Hibbert. Awesome. You're going to love it. And it, if you are out there and thinking, I wonder if I should read that, the answer is yes. Um, always yes. Always yes. <laughs> um, since I mentioned hockey, I'll go ahead with um, th- th- my first hockey book of the season, um, which is Goalie Interference by Avon Gale and... Um, 
Piper Vaughn. And it's the second book in their hat trick series. And I really loved Off the Ice. But if there is a book version of Soulmates, then Goalie Interference is that. I know I have mentioned Soulmates a lot, and I have about 85,000 of them. Um, so I'm sorry to all of my other Soulmates. You have to uh, join Goalie Interference with my soul. Um, <laughs> so Goalie Interference is the first book that I have read that features two goalies on the same team. And they are um rival goalies because neither one of them is given the starter position. They have to play sort of what they call in tandem. And uh, Ryu, who is um the the goalie who's been on the team longer, you know, expects to be the starter because he's been on the team longer. But um Emmett, who they call Army, because I discovered reading um, Check Please that if you play hockey, you have to have a nickname. Uh, <laughs> I, I've learned so many things from hockey books. Um, is He won the minor leagues version of the Stanley Cup and is pulled on. And it's just so good that they can't decide on a starter. So there's already that sort of rival thing. And also the two, while they have amazing sizzling sexual chemistry uh they do not get along at all and they they just either like stare at each other for long periods of time blatantly checking each other out daring the other to say something or you know toss barbs at each other they they play pretty well together well they don't really play together but they alternate well um and each each one feels the need to be better at the game so that they can one-up the other. But then all of a sudden, they decide to start having sex because, you know, they have great chemistry and you might as well get some stress relief sure. any way you can, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is the book that I was thinking of when I was talking about earlier, whether I mentioned that the characters have sex Oh, yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. part of the plot. This is obviously part of the plot. And of course, what happens when two people who don't really have a true reason to hate each other and also have amazing sexual chemistry start spending more time together? Feelings. Sure. <laughs> so. Feelings happen. Feelings Even happen. Even hockey. And it seems, if it seems like I've, I've gone pretty deeply into the book, I I really have it. Like, there's a lot that happens after that. So just enjoy the feelings and uh, read Goalie Interference, the first hockey book of the season. <laughs> uh, funny that you should say that because my other book that I, I didn't even realize, everything I know about hockey, I learned from the Mighty Ducks and the Mighty Ducks 2. <laughs> uh, I did not watch the Mighty No, I watched the Mighty It doesn't. We'll talk about Mighty Ducks 3 another day. But... Um, so the, the other, one of the other books that I was going to mention is actually Sucker Punch by Elise Springer, um, wherein Alex gets pulled up from, I think the minors of hockey, if that's a thing. I actually don't, again, <laughs> I don't know a lot about hockey that's not Mighty Ducks related. <laughs> um, so he's going to play for Seattle's pro team, but here's the thing. He's half vampire. So this is where we get back to my like October monster book situation. I love uh, it. And a- yeah. Right. And apparently the sport is trying to like 
uh, outlaw paranormal players. So I feel like maybe there's a true blood vibe. This is another one that I'm like two chapters into because I wanted to be able to say something about it. Um, so I feel like it's a true blood situation where people know vampires exist. Mm-hmm. It's just a matter of what they're going to do about them. So one of the other Seattle players, uh, Sasha is best friends with the goalie Alex was replacing. And Sasha turns out, turns out he's also kind of a hot headed, super sexy player. And so, uh, the two of them clash initially, Right up until they stop clashing. Mm. Uh, so I don't know a whole lot about that one, but I am always a huge fan of Lee Springer. And um, this is a new series for, from her as well. And so I don't know. I will I will keep you posted. But my hockey book that I didn't know we were bringing hockey books to the table today. <laughs> um, but mine has a half vampire. So I am into it. There we are. <laughs> I, I have that one on my list to read. And I... I alternately remember and forget that it is a um, paranormal hockey book. So I'm glad you reminded me that I need to get on that because that's exciting. And I will mention, I'm pretty sure that one's a Dream Spinner press title, Mm -hmm. uh, which Dream Spinner, as we have discussed, um, I can understand if you were not super excited to support Dream Spinner at this point. I would totally get that. As we've discussed, I think my perspective is I don't necessarily want to punish an author because of what the publisher is doing. Um, but I will understand it. I, I, full disclosure. That is who's publishing this book. I'm again, almost certain. Um, so I know if it makes more sense to look at it from your library or different outlet that feel free to, to approach it. However you think is right. Sounds good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I still battle with that question. Um, but That doesn't particularly matter for the next book that I am going to recommend, which is my version of a Halloween read, aka fun, not spooky. (laughs) And this is a book that I I mean, fine, (laughs) whatever. (laughs) I mean, I do Halloween how you want. (laughs) I like spooky too. Um, but I am, I am learning how to move in that direction. Paranormal is one thing, but something that's like creepy and I'm just like feeling kind of itchy about it. I don't want that. I want to enjoy myself. And uh, one way I can do that is by taking recommendations of people on Twitter and picking up Halloween Boo by Sarah Spade. <laughs> and this is. I, I believe the phrase was thin, thinly veiled hocus pocus fan fiction. Um, and it, that sounds amazing. I know. I was actually just thinking that I have a vampire and a werewolf and now I really need a witch. <laughs> well, this actually has a ghost and it might have a witch, but I, I am in your boat of not got, not having gotten very far. I plan on getting very far, aka to the end tonight but in the meantime so there is danny who has moved to salem salem massachusetts um, sure. <laughs> uh, for our work and has moved into this apartment that she is pretty sure is haunted um she couldn't say for certain but things things started happening like um just you know, rose petals showing up on her coffee table and hearts drawn into her flower when she bakes and leaves a mess all over the place. Oh, not to mention um, a nice breeze and some door slamming when a guy she doesn't want to have sex with really wants to have sex with her. Um, what part of you thinks that this isn't spooky? 
I mean, this is just the first chapter. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm just saying. Mysterious rose petals are weird, no matter what. I mean, it's written in a way that's not creeping me out. It's it's making me All intrigued right. without freaking me out. And that's that's important to me. I trust you. I mean, it could be spooky to someone else. Maybe Maybe there's a different definition of spooky. Maybe it's spooky, but not creepy. How about that? All right. I'll give you that. Spooky fun. Um, so this is an alternating perspective book, which is great because we find out there is a ghost in her apartment and he is totally in love with her. And uh, that's as far as I've gotten. But what we know about this sort of world that the two live in is that October 31st is the one night a year where, um, ghostly figures can manifest into human beings. Um, so I am looking forward to finding out what happens on Halloween, y'all. Um, so um, I really enjoy finding finding books that sort of have that nice little twist between fun and freaky and freaky in the like creepy way, not the other. You know what I mean? Um, so I am looking forward to finishing this book and it's Halloween Boo by Sarah Spade. And yes, it is called Halloween Boo. <laughs> hey, no judgment. Uh, we are a little short on time. So the last, I will mention a series, which is less Halloween oriented and more fall oriented, or at least I think of it as fall oriented. And we've talked about it before, but that's the Winston Brothers series by Penny Reed. Um, because I think... Of the six books, if you count the sort of prequel that are out at this point, at least four of them happen over this sort of October, November season. Um, like in the first one, um, the first official book in the series, Truth or Beard, uh, the book opens with Jessica, who ends up being one of the main characters in that book, going to Halloween as sexy Gandalf. Yes. Which is just very charming. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of um, Thanksgivings that happen in those books, I think partly because it's such a familial holiday and it's such a series that's focused so much on family. Um, and uh, I am also very excited about the final book that is coming out, uh, Beard Necessities, next month. Um so I, anyway, it's a series, like I said, that I always think of as being sort of very fall oriented. The fall in the Great Smoky Mountains is really beautiful. And like I said, there's a lot of fall things that happen. So um, I will link to, to that series in the show notes, but it's just a nice kind of fall. It's a good like drink some hot buttered rum or like bourbon and eat apple pie kind of a series. So. <laughs> You know, or or whatever you have, whatever you got, just just go with it. just go with it. Just go with it. I can go with it. Um, and I will throw out that one book that I am very much looking forward to reading um, soon is A Match Made for Thanksgiving by Jackie Lau. Um, I noticed that on Twitter she was talking about writing several holiday books between now and um, Chinese Lunar New Year. Um, so I am looking forward to a match made for Thanksgiving being sort of the start of Jackie Lau's holiday season. Um, and that's coming out, I believe, on October 8th. Um, so not too long after this podcast comes out. Yeah, like within a couple of days. So yeah. that's great. And I actually had a couple of others that I might mention the next time that we talk. So maybe we'll have to keep talking about fall books. Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we'll talk about like ghost books. I don't know. <laughs> um, I already have strong feelings about ghost books, as you know. Yes, yes, I do. 
So anyway, in the meantime, please do let us know what you think about uh, sexual content ratings um, or heads ups in whatever form they take for romance books. Uh, don't hesitate to let us know um, if there are other resources or thoughts that you have about some of the romance trailblazers out there and, and um, anything that we either got wrong or missed. We always like to hear that. And if you read seasonally, let us know that or if you don't, and what seasonal books you are excited about right now. Absolutely. And let us know if you read seasonally in the wrong season. Like I, I know people who enjoy Christmas books in May. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be great, too. But either way, you know, you know how to contact us. And if you don't, we're going to tell you. <laughs> um, you can always email us at our handy romance at bookriot.com email address. Um, or you can find us on the socials. You can find me on Twitter at Jess is reading all one word or on Instagram at Jess underscore is underscore reading. And I am on Twitter and Instagram at Trisha Haley Brown. If you uh, have other feedback that you want to share more broadly, feel free to rate and or review the podcast. It does help other folks find it. Um, so particularly if you like it, but as always, if you don't and you've listened this far, you deserve to rate it as well. So good for you. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, as always, let us know what you're thinking. Um, and happy fall to all of you. Happy fall and happy reading. Happy reading, everybody. Happy reading, everybody.